Today, we're going to be talking about how in our culture we have, for a while now, sacrificed intimacy for the sake of an increasing connection. Uh, and that's something that's pre-existing to COVID, but uh, the times we live in have sure exacerbated that condition, and it's something that we're, we're dealing with today and we want to talk about. But before I can really get into intimacy and what that looks like in 2 Corinthians 3, which is our main passage of the day, I have to back up a little bit because 2 Corinthians 3 is talking about a moment that happened in Exodus 33 and 34. And in Exodus 33 and 34, we're introduced to this really important attribute of God himself. Let's actually just jump right there, Exodus 33. So Moses, who is one of God's leading spokespeople in history, who was very intimately connected with God, who'd done all sorts of miracles with the power of God at his behalf. He'd, um, God had rescued Moses from death. God had appeared in a burning bush. God helped Moses uh, do miracles and free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, right? And at the end of all of these things, Moses is saying, I still feel... Like there's, there's a little distance between us, God. I, I really want our relationship to be one of strong, deep connection. And so Moses makes this request. Moses says to God, so God, show me your glory. This thing that makes God different from human beings, not just that he's uh, omnipotent or eternal. God has glory, and Moses really wanted to see it, see it for himself, connect with God. And the Lord said to Moses, well, I mean, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. Uh, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And you know me by now. You know that I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me be exposed directly to my glory and live. But then the Lord said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Now when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I will cover your eyes with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will be able to see the backside of my glory as it passes away, but my face cannot itself be seen because it would explode your eyeballs out. And this is an odd moment for us. It's an odd request for Moses. And it's also a little weird to hear uh, God talk about this. I need to keep my glory a little bit hidden from you. It would be too much for you. And yet, if you haven't noticed, this is something we still teach today. It's something we even sing today. In fact, there's a song we sing here regularly uh, that has this lyric in it. It says uh, that God's glory is hidden in creation. That God, for the sake of not uh, you know, melting us down um, with, the, with the presence of his, his awe-inspiring might and power and glory, he hides himself in creation, or in, in Moses' case, he hides him in a rock, okay? But then the story continues, and this is what 2 Corinthians 3 is gonna be talking about. God then, after this moment, goes, uh, Moses, after this moment, goes up on the mountain of Sinai with God to get the 10 commandments. It's a very famous moment, much more popular story than the last one. Uh, you know, Charlton Heston's up there with his two tablets of stone. And, and this is the experience and the, the after effect of this moment in God and Moses' history. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He was glowing, glowing so much that when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. They thought he was radioactive or something. He had some of that you know, glory of God that was gonna melt their faces off, right? And so, but he said to them, it's all right, come on. 
And so Aaron and all the leaders of the community, they came back to him and Moses spoke to them and they were okay. And then afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai and they were okay too. And then when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he would remove the veil uh, until he came out. And then when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant again. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the context for our passage today, that God's glory is so powerful that direct exposure would melt Moses' face off, and even indirect exposure would make Moses' face glow so brightly that it freaked out the people. And just as a side point, I love and I have pity on all of the classic artists who have attempted to paint or draw this story from the Bible. How do you draw a guy who's glowing um, so greatly has to put a veil over his face? And I love Gustave Doré, his woodcut of it, uh, because I just think that looks just terrible. Moses looks like the elephant man there. You know, like, oh, okay, that's, that's how this moment went down. You know, Moses has this weird sheet over his face. And what's funny, especially to me, is that we who have lived through 2020, we know exactly how Moses would have actually masked his face for the Israelites to keep them safe, right? We know how that looks. But aside from that, to, to look seriously at this moment, the story is a little unclear as to the motivation for Moses. Why did he veil his face? Uh, and the, the two main possible interpretations are that he, uh, that he was just trying to protect them from their own fear, that the glory was a little too intimidating, he was coming on a little too strong, and so he put the veil uh, over his face to, to kind of protect them a little bit, make them feel more comfortable with him. Uh, but the other interpretation that, that you could take too is that Moses was actually trying to hide the fact that God's glory was fading, that it was a transitory glory, that that when he went and was confronted with God, he got some reflected glowing, but then after he'd been away for a little bit talking to the Israelites, the glory went away. And maybe Moses was ashamed and embarrassed uh, that this, this thing he had that was proof of God's power was now fading away, and so he put the veil on so that they wouldn't notice. But whichever one it was, whichever we interpret the story, the principle that's true regardless is this, that for the sake of his leadership and influence, Moses felt that he had to hide a part of himself. That because he wanted to be able to connect with these people, because he wanted them to trust him and let him lead them well, he had to hide a part of himself for the sake of his influence and his connection with them. And this is a leadership principle that we have embraced ever since. And this is a 4,000 year old story, but we, we still think this today. In fact, I had this experience myself when I was first pursuing pastoral ministry. Uh, one of the steps was I had to go to the district office in Denver and I had to interview with a panel of retired pastors so that they could assess my fitness uh, for the call. Now, thankfully, it didn't take them very long uh, to decide that apparently me and my wife were, were okay, that we, we'd be fine, um, because they spent the bulk of the time just passing on all of their nuggets and pearls of wisdom, all of the things that they had learned in their lifetimes of church ministry. And that was great. I was happy to learn and, and take from their experience. But one thing was very interesting, and I did not expect, that all seven of these pastors agreed on one nugget of wisdom. One of them brought it up first, and then the rest of them just kept circling back around to it and said, oh yeah, and that's true. That's, make sure you hear that. And the nugget of wisdom that all seven pastors agreed on was whatever you do, don't ever be friends with anyone in your congregation. 
and all seven of them had stories. About a time where, man, I thought me and the head elder, I thought we were close, we went fishing together, and then man, man, he turned on me and I never saw it coming. Or, oh, I, I thought that, that my congregation really knew me, but then uh, as I shared something, they, they, it was crazy how fast the criticism started coming in, stuff that I thought I was sharing uh, in humility and confidence. And they were in complete agreement and they, they made sure to drill it into me and my poor unsuspecting wife, don't be friends with anyone at your church because it will only have consequences. And I think what's even harder about that advice was that these were men who had grown up and done their ministry in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. They didn't even know how Facebook was gonna change everything. That it's one thing to try and live your life a little bit veiled from the people around you, but now that we live in this era, no one gets to hide from the connection ever. And this isn't just a pastoral problem anymore. This isn't just a leader problem. This is for all of us. We've all seen now that when we live in this hyper-connected time that so many things have consequences on ourselves that we never would have expected. That, that you can be fired for something that you tweet. That, that something a family member shares can actually affect your friendships and your relationships. And we've seen firsthand that being too connected has very real consequences on our influence, on our relationships. And as a result, we've all had to learn through trial and error and just through some hard life consequences that it's safer and better to live a veiled life, right? That if being so connected the way we are can have all of these backlashes, all of these peripheral ripple effects that you never imagined, then the safest thing to do, the best thing to do is to veil yourself as much as possible, much like Moses in the passage from today. And so there are a few ways that I, I, I catch myself and I catch others living this veiled life. And the first I've already alluded to is that we craft and curate the online version of ourselves, don't we? that we, we, we pick and choose which pictures we're gonna share and what things we're going to do. And they're all truthful things. We're not lying, but we're also omitting things. And we're, we're carefully selecting only the ones that make us look in the best light. And, and I've been, I struggle with that myself. And I struggle to engage with it with others. I, we just had spring break and it just feels like everybody I know went skiing in Colorado for spring break. And I'm so jealous. And they posted all their pictures. But then what they don't post, and I don't know that this happened, but they don't post that me and my spouse had a huge fight with each other on the way to the ski lift or that our kids got tuckered out an hour in and they spent the rest of the time at the lodge. They don't talk about those things that they just present this very carefully crafted picture of their life. And I think after a decade and more now that we've been living in this world of, of the connectedness of social media, I think we're all wise to this by now, right? I, I think we all get that it, it's inauthentic, it's not real. And we've even seen uh, how people are trying to still pretend that it is authentic and real. They try to pretend that they're showing everything. And we, we have the rise of the humble brag. Have you guys experienced the humble brag? If you haven't noticed this or, or been a part of this, I'll, I'll give you an example. This is a humble brag on, on social media that I saw. You know, someone posts on Facebook, oh, I, I just ordered a book on potty training and would you believe it? Timmy potty trained himself before the book even got here. Man, what a waste of 20 bucks. Ah, so relatable. So authentic, man, they're really sharing, sharing the hard things. I can't tell you the number of times that my kid's genius has cost me money. It's the worst. 
Right, I, I think we're all, we're all recognizing that the online version of ourselves, it's, it's false. And even when we try and, and throw in some, some things that make it look like, oh no, I'm, I'm sharing all of me, I'm sharing the, the best things. No, no you're not. You're sharing only the most carefully curated stuff that you can do. And then not only that, that's one piece of it, that online thing, but then the, the second thing I notice and, and I see in myself is the masked version of ourselves. That just like Moses, we'll, we'll put the mask on, we'll try to hide the things uh, that we think are less uh, desirable, the things that, that, that wouldn't look well on us, things we're embarrassed or ashamed about. And again, that feels good for some people. I, I've talked with a few people this year that have kind of liked the whole mask thing. There are some introverts in my life that say, it is so great, it's just one more barrier between me and the world, I love it. I've, I've talked with men who are, who are grateful that uh, they don't have to shave as much. So I don't even have to worry about shaving. I just put a mask on and I'm good. No one even knows whether I shaved or not. Or, or women uh, who say, hey, I only have to do makeup on my eyes. It saves me like half an hour in the mornings getting ready. I don't have to worry about, about this part of my face. For me, that hasn't played out so well because I am someone who struggles with facial expressions and I need the whole thing uh, to communicate accurately to people. One, one example is I, I myself, the thing I love most, if you wanna know if I'm having a good time, it's if someone's making me think hard about something. I love it when people bring up something thought-provoking or powerful or something I've never considered before and I have my thinking face, which is when someone says something interesting, I'm, I'm really processing it. I just kind of like, I, my, my mouth kind of quirks and I, I'm, I'm, my, I'm furrow my brow and I'm like, huh, hmm, oh wow. And if I'm making this face, that means I'm having a really great time with you. But here's the problem with this face is that if, if you don't see all of it, it doesn't look like I'm thinking. Like here's my face, you ready? So this is my thinking face. With the mask on, I look really, really mad. And I'm not, I'm having a great time. And that's not just a literal uh, manifestation of that. that, that's metaphorically true and powerful as well, right? The, the, the things that are hidden behind the mask, we think we don't need them or we think that no one sees them and yet they still have an effect on our lives. Just because we think it's hidden, just because we think it's behind a mask, I promise you people can still see the effects of it in your life. And, and this especially plays out with, with the things that we are, are embarrassed or ashamed about, the sins that we hope nobody else notices. The things that we pretend, they don't really matter. I can just keep this part of my life uh, behind bars uh, because I'm doing all of these other things that are open and exposed and that are noble and worthy. And as long as the focus is on that, it doesn't matter what skeletons are in my closet. It doesn't matter what things are hidden behind the mask. And yet what I've learned sadly and, and truly in the world today, and I hope you've seen it too, is, is we're not actually really fooling anybody. That the things behind the mask, they come to light. The skeletons in the closet, they eventually out. I think of one uh, a man in ministry that I just respected so much, Robbie Zacharias. He was so influential in my life and he had some hidden things behind the mask. And I'm sure he told himself, oh, this, this stuff, it doesn't matter because look at all the good my ministry is doing in the world. Look at the impact and the influence I'm making on people and the fact that I'm hurting people behind closed doors. But it comes out eventually too. And the people that he was supposed to be caring for, he was actively hurting. His ministry has now had to completely change course and his legacy will not be what he had hoped it would be because the stuff hidden, it comes out in one way or another. And we're tricking ourselves if we think that nobody sees the stuff behind the mask. But the other thing that we can try to do in spite of that then is what we do is we try to make ourselves as blank of a slate as possible. 
We try and, and just be so generic, so not sharing of anything that, that no one can, can actually take any offense at anything that we do. Uh, I learned this lesson very interestingly in high school. I noticed that my friends, when we were getting together at the lunch table, we were talking about things, it was just a, a constant interrupt fest, and everyone was like, oh, and this happened to me, and then this happened to me. And I, I had the thought, what would happen if I just didn't interrupt for a while? I'm just not going to share my day or anything that's going on with me. And I was just curious what would happen. And I'll tell you, here's what happened. Uh, no one noticed. They were all so busy talking about their days, it didn't even really land on anyone's radar. But not only that, and this was fascinating, I got much more popular at school. <laughs> Suddenly, I was the good, caring friend. Suddenly, I was such a blank slate that people were projecting all of their stuff onto me, and they were uh, assuming that, um, that I, just, I cared about all the same things they cared about, that I was struggling with the same stuff they were struggling, not because I said any of those things, but because I just didn't say anything else. I just received. I had so many people tell me, oh, man, you're such a great listener. You gave me such great advice. I felt so encouraged, and, and thanks for helping me get through that thing. And I'm sitting here going, I didn't say anything. I just smiled and nodded. And so I learned they didn't really want my advice, they just wanted me to listen. Or I had people who, who thought that I shared their hobbies because they would talk about their hobbies with me and I, because I cared about them, I would listen and not share about my own hobbies. And so they would just presume, oh, he must like all the same stuff I do, even if I didn't. I was just trying to be a good friend. And, and I learned a devastating lesson there, and I think maybe some of us have probably had the opportunity to learn that too, that, that the, the, the consequence of that is that you, you learned that the things you care about, the things you value, the hard things in your life are actually things that hinder your relationships with others. That that actually keeps you from connecting because people are so busy tied up in their own things that, that my stuff's a distraction, my stuff's an interruption, and people just like me better when I'm a blank slate and when they can just see their faces reflected in mine. This veiled way of living, it feels safer. It expands our connection because you do get more friends when you don't burden them with, with the things going on in your life. Uh, you, you do get more follows and likes when you just are relentlessly focused on the positive and when you try and keep your skeletons in the closet, that's, that's helpful too. It feels like a safer way to live but it is not a life-giving way to live and it is not truly connecting with people the way that we were designed to be that we were supposed to have connections that bring life and wholeness and growth to each other. And as long as we're living veiled life, yes, we're protecting ourselves a little bit, but we're also keeping ourselves from the life-giving relationships that God intends for us to have. And here's how I know this about God, because God himself was not content to live the veiled life with us. We saw this story in Exodus about how God uh, had to keep his presence a little hidden from Moses, how Moses had to veil the glory of God because it was too powerful, too disconcerting for other people, and yet God was never content with that status quo. That that whole time he was working a plan for humanity that was gonna culminate in this amazing moment where God would take the veil away and he would reveal his glory in a brand new way. That same song I mentioned before, here's how that line finishes. That hidden glory in creation has now been revealed in you, our Christ. Christ is not just God made man. Christ is the manifestation of God's glory. 
a glory that used to bring uh, death and destruction to anyone that got too close, a glory that is now fundamentally different and shows God's actual heart and intent for his relationship with us and our relationship with each other. And so with that said, and with all of that background and context, hopefully now you've got the, the information that you need so that we can look at 2 Corinthians 3 and what the glory of God means for us and how we live intimate lives of connection with others. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 3. This is Paul writing to one of the early Christian churches. And he's describing the moment we just talked about. Now, if the ministry that brought death, he's talking about the law, of God, which was engraved in letters on stone, right? So Moses holding the, the, the stone tablets. If that ministry that brought death engraved on stone, if even that ministry came with glory, glory that, that shone and, and reflected on Moses' face, so that the Israelites themselves could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, fading away though it was, will not now the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which will last for eternity? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. So let me pause there and and, and just distill some of these sentences that you're hearing. That Paul's talking about this old glory and this new glory. And and Paul is basically describing the two different manifestations of God's glory. One is called law and one is called gospel. And Paul's breaking down the differences between these. That that God's glory is in the law. God has a righteous way for us to live. That there, there are instructions and commandments and things that will make our life better. But he's also pointing out very strongly and very bluntly that the glory of God in the law only brings condemnation and death. And that there is a new, more fully revealed glory of God in Christ that brings God-given righteousness, that lasts forever, that will not fade away, that will be an eternal glory for us. And he is drawing the strongest of contrasts because these new fledgling Christians, these people that are wrestling with what it means now that God has revealed his glory in Christ, how does that change things? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying it changed the glory of God. Old Testament, the glory of God was revealed in the law and it burns you to death because of your imperfection and sin. Since Christ came, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ and it does not bring death, it brings life and transformation. We don't have to hide in a rock anymore because the face of Christ is the direct access to God's glory that we've been craving that whole time. And that's what Moses, I think, was secretly deeply asking for when he first asked that question. See, Paul continues on. See, now that Christ has taken that veil away, it changes things. Because even to this day, when Moses is read, to this day, when, when believers in God read the law, that's what he's saying there, when they focus on the old covenant, the old glory, 
that veil goes back over their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away again. And now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's no shame anymore because we all now who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are now being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The picture Paul is describing is that Moses was the only one that was even allowed to get close to God and just even that bit of proximity gave him such glory that it shone for all the world to see and he had to hide it. But you and I, all of us now, we have been given direct access to Christ. God's not holding himself back. He's not holding anything back. And that direct direct access means that we all now, our faces have the power to shine with God's reflected glory to the whole world world. This is the new picture. And as we talk about God's glory, it's a glory that actually uh, is made shinier, more powerful, the more we unveil our faces. Because what are we showing in that moment? A moment of attempted intimacy where we stop hiding, we stop curating, we we stop being generic and we just show our face to the world. The fear is that they're gonna see all of the sins, all of the wounds, all of the brokenness that would disqualify us from intimate relationship. But the truth is that they actually get to see how God is transforming you moment by moment, day by day. And when we as Christians are willing and able to make a choice to live unveiled before the world, junk and all, they actually don't notice us as much because they notice instead the reflected glory of Christ who we proclaim. This is the message of hope Paul wants us to understand, but this is a very difficult message for us to engage with because it's dangerous, it's scary. He even called it out in verse 16. He said, even today, people, people want to read the law of Moses. They want to go back to a different way of engaging with God's glory. They want to front the law of God. If we want to expose the world to God, if we want to make sure that God's glory is revealed to everyone, then the way we do it is by making sure they know exactly how screwed up they are, making sure they know exactly how they've fallen short. We front the law of God to people for the sake of protecting his glory. And they go around ripping the masks off all of the people around them and saying, see, you're gross under there. And see, you're gross under there. And look, you thought you looked okay, but it's our job as God's people to make sure that we expose you for what you are, ugliness and all, underneath that veil. And I know that they think they're defending the purity of God's law and righteousness. I know that they do. But what they don't realize is that they're reverting to the old glory. They're reverting to a a partial part of God that only results in death and condemnation, and they're taking a page out of the playbook of the Pharisees, who, as you may recall, were the righteous, holy, religious people, and who were the ones who turned their face away from Jesus. See, I wanna be real. There's a cost at living the veiled life. It costs us life-giving relationships. It costs us intimacy. There's a cost to intimacy as well. And it's a cost that God himself paid. 
You see, when God revealed his glory in Christ, when he exposed himself directly to the holy, righteous people, you guys know what their response was. They killed him for it. They didn't like it. It was too uncomfortable. It it was better to have God at a distance, glory veiled, telling you a right way to live, and we could just go around and telling everyone else all the ways they weren't living up to God's law. That was an easier, more predictable, more controllable way to live. And then Jesus came down, and he was more than the image of God that they had projected. That God veiled, it allows people to put all of their own morality on him to decide for themselves what they think are the most grievous of the sins. And it's never, of course, the ones that we have. And by doing that, God paid a cost so that he could change once and for all how he engaged with us and we could engage with him and how we could engage with others. That we no longer have to be mask ripper offers and we also no longer have to live hidden in fear and secrecy. Because God gave us a new way to connect with him and therefore a new way to spread his glory to others. I wanna go back to 2 Corinthians 3, uh, this, thing that, this point that Paul made. He said, look guys, when we're trying to spread the ministry of God, when we're trying to present God's glory to the world, are we doing it by commending ourselves? Are we doing it by pretending that we've got our act figured out, we've got it all together, and that's how people will come to believe in God? No. He says, or, or do we need to have letters of recommendation? Do we need to show all of the accolades, all of the things that we've earned uh, so that people will believe the ministry of God? No. He says, this is what it is. We who with unveiled faces reflect the glory of Christ that is ever increasing in us, we ourselves become God's letter sharing his glory with the world. And it's written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Our hearts become the thing that everyone sees. Not the rules and regulations, not hiddenness in creation. They see our hearts, everyone does. And so then we show that we are a letter from Christ, the result of God's glory being revealed, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And therefore, such confidence we have through Christ before God. We can be bold. We can have confidence. We can live a life unveiled before the world. And that broken, messy, but state of being transformed life will shine more glory than any perfection that we might pretend to the world. Let me show you just in a very real way, how I've learned to live with confidence and to see the intimacy that comes through it. See, for the first 10 years of my ministry, I, I took those pastor's words to heart. And I, and I worked very hard to veil myself, to be very careful what I posted on Facebook, to, to ha- hold back any of the things, that, the, the sins that I knew were, were disqualifying uh, for me to be in ministry. And I'll just tell you now what they were. My overarching, absolutely uh, overwhelming and ruining my life sin for 10 years was anger. I lived in frustration and resentment. And I'll tell you this, part of why I didn't notice was because it was always on God's behalf. I was so frustrated, all of the people who were not living up to the way God had revealed to me that they should be living. I didn't know that was my prevailing sin. But I promise you this, Everyone around me sure did. My wife knew, my kids knew, the members of my church, they knew. 
See, it's not really a choice between living masked or not. It's really just a choice in living in self-deception or not because we can try to hide things behind a veil, but everyone around you, they see what leaks out. They know what's happening. And I never had any glimpse of it myself because I was trying to lead the church well by doing it the Moses way, living the veiled life. And then six years ago, I met Dion Garrett and the staff of this church. And he offered to me a 2 Corinthians 3 way of living. He made it clear to me that I was safe to let him know what I was struggling with, that I, I could share and be vulnerable and transparent with him, uh, and, and that would not disqualify me in his eyes, that he wouldn't judge me less, uh, that he wouldn't use it against me in a meeting or as we did performance reviews but that I was just safe to be honest with him. And that in fact, the more honest with him I was, the more able he would be to reflect Christ to me. And I took him at his word and it worked. And it's still come at a cost. Because the more connected I've been here, and I love the fact that we are at a church that is making such a difference even in the midst of COVID. If you didn't know, because it's hard to see, especially if you're online or through a screen, but our church's message is thriving. We are reaching more people than we've ever reached before with this very specific message of gospel, good news, and hope in Jesus. More people are watching my messages than have ever listened to anything I've said ever but I've also been more criticized in the last 12 months than I've been ever, right? Because this is the principle. The more connection you have, the more open you are to the criticism and the rejection and the betrayal of others. And there have been people at this church who have been invited into my intimate circle, who I've shared openly with them, and they've used it to throw my family under the bus, to reject me, or to reject this church. But here's where God has been so good and where he's given me a clarity that I did not even have until literally yesterday as I've been working on this message all week. Here was something I'd never noticed before. All of the critics, all of the people that are, that are condemning and saying I'm doing it wrong, not a one of them is calling out my sin because they can't because I made a choice six years ago that it's all here. I make a choice every week that I talk to you that I put it on display and there's nothing left for anyone to hold against me anymore and that this has played out in every facet of my life and it's actually resulted in more intimacy everywhere in my life because I'm honest about my struggles with my wife which means that now I can invite her into that process and when she can say, yeah, you were really, really pissy with me just then, I can say, oh, you know what? I know that's the thing I struggle with and it's the thing I've told you I struggle with so I can't deflect or pretend in this moment. Thanks for sharing, I'm gonna work on it. It's changed my relationship with my kids because again, they knew I was angry. I didn't have to tell them but the difference now is because I'm not trying to hide it because I'm not pretending to be a perfect parent, I can now also apologize for being angry and they can forgive me and I can start over again tomorrow. The staff at this church are able to see the things I'm living. And if there's something real and legitimate, then they, they can call it out and they can say, man, Doug, you came across real bad in that meeting. And I can say, ah, oh, I've shared that with you. I know that's the thing I'm working on. Thanks for telling me. I'll get it right next time. I'll apologize if I need to apologize. And I do. And my enemies and the critics have not a word 
to say about my sins. They don't come against me and say I'm angry because they can't. In fact, the number one criticism I've gotten the last 12 months is that I had an online unscripted conversation where I wasn't forceful and angry enough about ripping the masks off of other people's marriages. And I contented myself in that moment with saying, I think the sin God is most concerned about is the sin that I bring in my own marriage. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna focus on that before I throw stones at anyone else. And here's the power and the beauty of it. Those criticisms that used to land, that used to wipe me out. Guys, I'd give a sermon back in Colorado and someone would take fall with it and it would crush me for days. Or I would have a bad meeting and someone would call it out and say, Doug, you are a jerk there. And it it would just completely make me crumble. Because they were real. They were true. They were right. But now, when people are mad at me, because I'm trying to reflect the face of Christ. And when I've already been humble and open about the things I struggle with and they're just there and you can engage with them or not, what's so amazing is all the criticisms I've been getting for the last 12 months, especially from the critics and the enemies, have been about 2 Corinthians 3 stuff. They're saying that I'm reflecting the grace of Christ too much. And at that point, I don't have to take it personally anymore. They can take that up with Jesus. And if I got it wrong, (laughs) thanks. And if I got it wrong, and I'm happy to admit that I get it wrong, Jesus is gonna take it up with me too. And so now I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be worried about the rejection that's coming down the pike. I don't have to worry about the people that have been members of this church and aren't. I can grieve for them. I can be sad that they're gone. But I also don't have to be mad at them or be afraid that they saw something true underneath my mask that I didn't know about because they didn't. They only saw an unveiled man trying to reflect this new glory of Jesus the way God's asked me to do it. And what I can tell you is while the cost has been high, there have been rejections and betrayals, my family's been thrown under the bus a little bit, the reward of intimacy has been greater. I have a better relationship with the people who matter And the ones who don't matter as much, just not because they don't matter, but just because they're on the periphery, I can trust that they're working out their own stuff with God too, and he's got his own uh, unveiled look that he's doing with them. And if that's something you desire for yourself, if you would like to see the power of intimacy, it will be hard, it will cost you certain relationships, but it will bring you life and joy and better relationships with the people who matter, the people who are designed to have intimate closeness with you then here are the steps I've taken and here are the steps I encourage you to take. And the first one is you start with 2 Corinthians 3.18. Guys, this is up there. We talk about verses people should memorize, John 3.16. This one's gotta be in the top 10 list for you. Here at Pathfinder, we we talk about the life journey, the 1-1-15-6. Those are the four steps that any of us can take so that we can connect more deeply with God. And the third one is the 15, that we spend 15 minutes a day in a faith-building spiritual discipline. If you are lacking in intimacy, if you are are still feeling stuck in a veiled life because of shame and fear, then take 15 minutes a day and just contemplate this verse. Write it on a card, print it on a document, color it in on a coloring sheet, and put it on your bathroom mirror, tape it to your dashboard, keep it on your desk, and spend 15 minutes doing nothing but just reading this verse over and over and over and over again and take its truth seriously that we can have unveiled faces before God. 
and that we're no longer striving to project a perfect image anymore because I'm not trying to do the work of transforming and fixing myself. That work is already happening outside of my control. God's already beaming brightly down on me and he's letting his glory transform me. And the only thing I have to do is just stop pretending with God rip the veil off and let his glory like the warm growing sun breathe life and transformation into me. And then you take a step, just one step of intimacy and connection. You find one person, a Christian brother or sister, someone you trust, someone that you know has a deep relationship with God themselves and you just, you just try it. And instead of making up the socially polite excuse, instead of, instead of coming up with the sugar-coated version of what's going on with you, you just simply say, you know what, honestly, I'm really depressed right now. You know what, honestly, I'm really pissed at this person. I can't get over it. And you let them be a source. You let them reflect God's glory off of their own face at you. And maybe you don't have that person, so let me offer this to you now. I don't know all of you personally, I know some of you, but here's a promise I can make that Dion and I, we have heard a life's share of confessions. I have been invited and privileged as people have invited me in as they confess their deepest, darkest shames, secrets, and sins. There is nothing anymore that can shock me from what I've heard. And so what I can promise you is there is nothing that you've got under that veil that I would not respond to you with the reflected glory of Christ off my face. That I've got no judgment for you. I've got no criticism. I have no need to foist my anger on you in the face of your revealed confessions. And so if you just need one person besides God, let it be me, let it be Dion. And let me just tell you, there is nothing in you that keeps you from the glory of God. There is nothing in you that stops the transforming work that God is already doing in you and has been doing in you since the moment you were born, the moment he welcomed you into his family through baptism, the moment he died for you on the cross. That work is happening no matter what you do. Just let it be unveiled. And then from there, I think you'll find what I have found is that you will find the other people who reflect Christ back at you. You will start to shift your circles. You'll start to notice which places and which people you can live wholeheartedly in. And suddenly the ones that you lived in such fear of their criticism, their rejection, their betrayal, you just don't even have to worry about it anymore because you have everything you need through the reflected glory of Christ who loves you more than anything. And his glory doesn't bring you death. His glory doesn't bring you despair. His glory grows you into something new and amazing, a transformation that he can't wait to keep doing in your life, here, now, and for always. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you're too good. You're so much better than any of us could have ever created for you in our own religious imaginations because our religious walk would have been to just try to force everyone to conform, to hold everyone's sins against them, to demand that we live veiled lives and we present this posture of perfection to the world. And God, you saw past it. You continue to see past all of our self-deceptions. You know us deeper than we even know ourselves and your response was not condemnation. Your response was not to burn us to death. You spared even Moses himself when he made that request. Your response is to flood us with your glory that brings life and hope through Jesus. 
So Lord, because of your brave and courageous act of sacrifice that cost you crucifixion and death, help everyone here take one small step of bravery. Even if it's not with anyone else around us, if it's just simply with you, Lord, help us to stop pretending. Help us to think that that thing that we just don't think about, maybe you don't notice it either. Help us to face the truth that you see it all. You know it all and you love us and you delight in us anyway. So Lord, fill us with that spirit that Paul talks about. Flood us with the glory that brings righteousness and life. And don't leave us unchanged, but keep transforming us in new and powerful ways. We pray in your name, amen. So I wanna do something different today. It is hard for all the reasons I just talked about to live unveiled faces before God, but it's also hard because there are so many distractions, so many relationships that we're trying to maintain and keep up appearances with. And so I wanna take a few moments now in an intentional way that we're going to power down all the distractions here, all of the lights and the music, the things that, that we often use to point us and help drive us to Jesus. But we wanna take those away and just sit unveiled before God for a few moments. So if you have a phone or you need to turn it off so that's not distracting you, if you've got a kid, maybe bribe them with a lollipop real quick uh, so that they're engaged for a minute. But, but just do something so that we can spend a few moments doing what 2 Corinthians 3.18 encourages us to do, invites us to do so that we can receive the life-giving glory of God. Let us now separately and together sit unveiled before our loving Father. I want us to stay in this moment as we sit in the presence of God, feeling his spirit moving through this room. What does God see when he looks at you? However you answer that in your moment of quiet, 
I want to remind us and ground us in this one truth that God already saw it all and he chose to love us all the same. Everything that we're guilty of, everything that we're ashamed of, the deep and dark secrets that nobody else knows, God knows it and he still loves you. And that has a beautiful rhythm of grace to it that God chooses to see us in all of the flaws and all that we are as human and yet he still loves us. We're gonna stay stripped away in this moment to honor the presence of God here right now together. And as we do that, I wanna lift our voices, just our voices, no music, and sing about how deep the Father's love is for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear. Have paid my rent. 
the old glory that would have resulted in condemnation and death for you and me and all of us. And they've replaced it with a glory that brings you life. And he offers it to you freely and just out of his own love and delight in you. In case you need to know that that's not just empty words, but that there is a supernatural act of God involved in it, then know that this is Christ's body which was broken for you. This is Christ's blood, which was shed for you. He wants you to receive these things. He invites you now to his table, amen. And so in just a moment, volunteers will dismiss you row by row. On your way out, you are invited to receive Christ's body and blood in forms of bread and wine to receive his new glory, his forgiveness, and the unveiled transformed life that he desires for all of us. And I invite you to come back next week as we continue the series. We'll be talking about how we will sometimes sacrifice growth for the sake of peace and how God invites us to a new and better way. But for now, let me send you out with a blessing from our glorious, gracious God. May our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he look upon you with his favor, granting you his glory and giving you his peace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for worship this week. And what an important reminder for us that although we have these great gifts in technology, we have to make time and space to power down and to get still and to, you know, connect flesh and blood eye to eye, person to person with others, that, that there's a gift that God wants to give us there too. I encourage you to do that this week. I also want to encourage you to use all the gifts that God has given us to help you, help yourself, help others move forward on, on your journey. So our website's available for you at pathfinderstl.org. Check that out. We also do all of our messages via podcast. If you'd rather get them in that way, you can find out more on our website or by searching in your podcast library. Um, you can like this video, share it with someone who needs it. I think a lot of people need this message right now. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. You can also comment. That helps our messages get out to more people. And then last, just simply enjoy knowing that God sees you and he knows you just as you are. He loves you just as you are. That's an incredible gift. So make some time and space to, to discover that, to really lean into that this week. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you back soon.